the Baylor Bears are 3-0, and I couldn't feel better about it. Welcome into Please Bear With Me. I'm your host, Travis Corley. And the first game of the season, yes, it's always exciting, but there is something about that first competitive game in the Big 12 that really, really just pumps me up for the season, and we've got one this weekend. That's right, the Iowa State Cyclones make their way to Waco, Texas, a top 15 team in the nation. And boy, do I like our chances. But we will get into that later. Before we do that, we are going to hear from Shahanji Araja of CBS Sports. We are going to talk Big 12 expansion. We're going to talk Baylor's chances in the Big 12 through three games. Then we'll talk about that Iowa State matchup. He has a new podcast out called The College Football Playoff Show where they talk about, guess what? The College Football Playoff. And they kind of put themselves in the shoes of the committee and talk us through who they would put in the playoff. It's been fantastic so far. I've enjoyed it. So if you're a fan of The College Football Playoff and hearing all of that being broken down, look no further. The College Football Playoff Show is for you. So let's get into it. Please bear with me. Welcome in to Please Bear With Me Again. I'm your host, Travis Corley. A lot to get to in today's episode. I'm super excited to bring Shayhan in and talk Big 12 and talk Baylor football. But before we get there, we have a nice little game to recap against those Kansas Jayhawks. And boy, was it a dominant performance. Let's look just at last year's performance versus this year's. Scores were similar, but much more dominance on our side this year. So last year, we averaged 4.3 yards per play. We ran 76 plays and had four offensive touchdowns. This year, 8.3 yards per play, ran 69 plays, scored six offensive touchdowns. So last year's game was a little bit murked up by Ebner's two special teams punt returns for touchdowns. We didn't really get to see how bad our offense really was. But this year, I mean, night and day difference really from the way that we played the game. And let's start on that defense because, man, that offense played really, really good. And I want want to talk about more about the offense than I do the defense. So defensively, I thought we did play well. I thought we played better in the second half, but man, I just really feel like there's another level that we can still get to. And in that first half, did not contain Bean as well as we could have. He had 45 rushing yards, 5.6 yards per carry. That's too much. We ran past him, let him get outside too much. So he ended the game with 65 rushing yards and 5.4 yards per carry. So Better in the second half, only gave up 20 rushing yards to Bean. I figured that they would make at least a few plays and score. I thought that that would mainly happen in the second half. But their touchdown came there in the first half, and we shut them out in the second. 
Devin Neal forced a fumble near the end of the game. We did not get a take three this time, but I'm hoping we will against Iowa State like we did last year. Uh, but very, I, I'm just very excited for Neal's future in that safety position. He's going to be playing, you know, this year, but definitely going to be playing a lot, a lot next year. So someone to watch out on that defense that's going to be emerging, really emerging next year. The defensive line, though, it, it needs a better push. This is where I think our defense can make the most strides. Only four tackles for loss and no sacks against Kansas. And I'm just, I, I'm just not seeing that push. We're not pushing that opposing defensive line back on rush plays, you know, for the most part. And, and that's what made us so successful in 2019 was that push from the defensive line. So since we are trying to clog that middle and make that running back hesitate, we need to be better just as a defensive line. We really do. Uh, Apu Aika has basically been a non-factor in the two games he's played. I need to see a lot of um, improvement from him. I really do. I've liked what I've seen from Chidi Ogbenaya there at defensive tackle more than I have Apu. So Apu's got a long way to go here. I figured he'd be much more dominant here near the front end of the season as most, as a lot of people did. He's got ways to improve and he can get there. Okay. He's got the tools. He can get there. Um, and I, and I think he will, especially in this Aranda and Roberts defense. So, you know, an excellent performance overall, I think by the defense, but man, we can still hit another level. Switching over to that offense guys, we have already, already through three games surpassed our total rushing yards from last year. So in 2020, we had 813 yards on the ground. This, this is what I got from ESPN. And then now in 2021, we have 971 rushing yards as a team. That's amazing. That's where we want to be. I mean, kudos to that offensive line. Kudos to Grimes. Kudos to Mateos, to, to really the whole offensive staff for getting this thing going a lot better than <laughs> a lot of us thought it could even be through three games, much less, you know, the, the end of the year. So I thought this game was our best offensive performance of the three games, not because of the yards or the score. That is a good factor to look at, but this was a better opponent. It was a Big 12 opponent on the road. And I'm going to tell you guys something here that I hate. It's the eye test. I hate that word from a college football playoff ranking standpoint. I think the eye test is dumb. Okay, but I, I do kind of do an eye test with our team. And from the way that I've been seeing us play on offense, it's, it's clicking. The offensive line is playing well. Gary is making great reads. He is throwing into tight windows a lot better this week he did against Kansas. And man, that offense, it just looked like it was humming. And we can still get to another level offensively for sure. We did add a little bit more wrinkles in offensively. I thought we saw some different looking plays as well. And that will continue to develop as we get further into Big 12 play. We're going to see some more creative stuff from Grimes. And I'm really, really, really excited about that. Um, did not like the two fumbles. We That was a, a bare necessity just to take care of the ball and not hurt ourselves. Uh, we did have two fumbles, and that has got to be a stress of importance this week, especially going against this Iowa State defense, defensive player of the year, and Mike Rose at linebacker, which we'll get into later. But man, we really, really do have to take care of the ball this weekend against the Cyclones. 
We had 576 total yards, 307 passing, 269, excuse me, 307 rushing, 269 passing. This is the third game in a row we have more rushing than passing yards. That needs to continue. 8.3 yards per play already mentioned. So let's talk about Gary Bohannon. Thought it, it was his best game of the year. 19 of 23, 269 yards, two touchdowns, passing, a 95 and a half QBR. And I'm going to say it again. If Gary is throwing less than 25 times per game, that is a good thing. 19 of 23, man, that's fantastic. Five rushes, 33 yards, one touchdown. Another thing I'm going to say again, five rushes is a great number. That tells me he is not relying on his legs. He's making his reads and he's using his legs as a last resort. I want to continue to see that and I want to continue to see it more in the red zone. I think he could be more aggressive on the ground in the red zone for sure. And there were some things I did want to see from GB that he hadn't done yet. That was pocket presence and tight window throws. And man, did he show me that he can do those things against Kansas. I was just really, I'm, I'm just really impressed so far with how well-rounded Bohannon is as a quarterback. And I think we've got something pretty special here, guys. We've got something pretty special in Bohannon. I'm looking around this Big 12, and honestly, I, I don't want any of the other quarterbacks. I don't. Like, I, I want to roll with Gary Bohannon no matter what team I have. I'm, I'm that excited about this guy. And he's, I really do think he has a chance to make second team all Big 12. I don't think he's going to surpass Rattler in that offense that OU has, but I think a second team all Big 12 for Gary Bohannon is in the realm of possibility for sure. That throw to Drew Estrada, I, I retweeted it, a quote tweet from Travis Roeder who tweeted the play, but that throw to Drew Estrada was the best throw of the year, okay? He stepped up in the pocket, he avoided the rush, he felt the rush, avoided the rush, stepped up, made a tight window throw to the sideline, Estrada made a great catch. And man, it was just a beautiful play. And speaking of Estrada, let's move to that receivers group. It was great to see Drew Estrada in that lineup, to see him healthy, to see him out there. I think he's going to be a good, good piece for us and a good contributor this year. I mean, that tough catch he made that we just talked about from Bohannon, I was excited about that. I want to see more opportunities for Estrada. Taekwon Thornton, somewhat of a quiet game, only three catches. Kansas, they were playing off coverage and cover two uh, pretty much the whole game. So that's why we didn't see too many deep balls there to Thornton or really see him get involved too much. Um, you know, it also doesn't help when we average like 6.8 yards per carry. We're just going to keep ground. We're just going to keep grounding and pounding. So, you know, if we're averaging six and six and a half yards per carry and they're playing off coverage in cover two, then we're just going to keep running the ball. So looking at Fleeks here, I've been really impressed with Fleeks so far. He j he looks bigger physically, and so that's that's good to see. But he's also shown the ability to make some tough catches um, that I didn't haven't seen in games. Maybe he hasn't practiced, but just really haven't seen Fleeks make those tough catches that we see from Sneed. And now Sneed had himself a heck of a game. Six catches, 128 yards receiving. The 69-yard touchdown was was a fantastic play. I mean, essentially, we hit him on like a 5, 
10 yard route and he did the rest. And man, that's that's kind of what this offense might just turn into be is let's just give the ball to our playmakers in space and, and, and let them do the rest. And, and that's what happened here. They played off coverage, like I said, and look, we'll throw it to Snead at the, for a five yard route and we'll let him do the rest. And man, he, he did get a lot of help from Thornton. Thornton was out there lead blocking for him. He blocked two guys on Snead's way into the end zone. Just a heck of a play by Snead and by Thornton. And want to congratulate Snead there going over 100 career receptions for the Baylor Bears. So congratulations, RJ Snead. That is amazing. Running back play. We continue to get solid play out of our running backs. And I'm going to say it right now. We have the best running back tandem in the Big 12. We do. You know, Brees Hall is better than Smith and Ebner. Bijan Robinson, you could make the same case. Deuce Vaughn, you know, wh whatever case you want to make. But nobody in this Big 12 has a one-two punch of Ebner and Smith like we do. They just don't, okay? And Ebner, he played really well. 12 carries, 72 yards, 6 yards per carry. He had his best return game of the year. He had that 86-yard touchdown return called back. And then his very next return went for 50 yards into the Kansas Territory. Smith, another great game as well. 16 carries, 122 yards, 7.6 yards per carry, and one touchdown. And I continue, continually impressed with Smith. I think the more reps he gets, the better he becomes. Third straight game with 100 yards rushing for Smith. And that is the first Baylor rusher to do so since Shaq Linwood in 2015. We saw some McWilliams. He had 54 yards, a really impressive 20-yard touchdown run. He's just a really tough guy to tackle, a lot like Ebner. And then Squirrel. Yeah, we finally got a Squirrel sighting. I really wanted to see Squirrel out on the field against Kansas. I think I tweeted that out before the game, and we got it. It wasn't for a lot, but man, it was just exciting to see Squirrel out on the field, to see him healthy, and to see him playing. Now to finish up this, this offense. We got to talk about that offensive line. It continues to play well. No sacks given up versus Kansas. We've given up one sack on the entire year. Only gave up four tackles for loss from Kansas. We outgained Kansas by over five yards per play. That is dominance. No PFF honors this week. But man, that offensive line just continues, continues to impress. A couple more game notes here, though. Gavin Yates a tight end on the roster. Man, this was so cool to see. He shifts from the tight end position to the fullback position, and we run a fullback dive for a touchdown. Like, how awesome is that? You don't see that a lot anymore, and that's the first rushing touchdown for a Baylor fullback since Jared Bunk in 2009. Thank you, David Smoke, for finding that for us. And now it is time for the oh-so-good player of the game. I went back and forth on this one. The defense played well, but I was really impressed more by that offense this week. Sneed comes out, has a great game, but there's one guy on this offense that is coming into his own. Ben Sims at tight end. Yes, 
the first time a tight end is making its appearance as the oh-so-good player of the game. He was our second leading receiver, four catches, 34 yards, and a touchdown. And that touchdown catch was a great catch. Full arm extension, brings one foot down in the back of the end zone for our first touchdown. He's in there run blocking the whole game for us. His usage rate was the third highest on the team behind GB and Ebner. Ben Sims. He played one of his best games as a Baylor Bear, and there is a lot more to come from him. And now we welcome Shahan J. Araja of CBS Sports. We'll roll with it. It's fine. It's a UT hey. shirt, isn't it? Hey, I mean, why do you, I'm, I haven't left the house. That's why I'm wearing it. What else am I supposed to wear it? It's the only clean clothes you have left, right? That's what exactly. you're telling me. I mean, basically, basically. <laughs> Well, hey, man, thanks for thanks for joining me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all. I'm going to call a little bit of an audible here to start. Um, something pretty wild happened today to a man that we all know and love named Charlie Brewer. He decided yeah. that he was uh, going to leave, leave the Utah program. Um, what's up with that? Yeah, it was funny. I was actually texting with one of my, my fellow Baylor alum friends, and Yesterday, you know, because he, he lost the starting job, it seemed like, at halftime of that last game. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of threw out there, I'm like, you know, technically he hasn't used his red shirt as yet. And so he could transfer. He could try to play somewhere else. Obviously, I think when he decided to leave this past offseason, just the opportunity to kind of get to play. And I'm assuming just to have fun playing football was probably a huge priority for him. Mm -hmm. And it just hasn't gone well through the first three games. So... I, if he wants to keep playing, I hope that he finds somewhere that's, you know, maybe a lower level school or something where he can just play, right? Or it can just be yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, you know, and if he wants to walk away, more credit to him for, for kind of, you know, wanting to make that decision for himself. But it was definitely, I, I joked about it. I didn't realize it was something that was going to happen this quickly. But he yeah. hasn't played uh, four games as yet, so he's still technical, uh, technically able to redshirt. So it'll be interesting to see how everything gets handled. But, I mean, Utah kind of seemed ready to move on as well. Yeah, it. they seemed ready to move on for sure. And, you know, I was really – I think we all were hoping that Charlie was going to go up there and just have a lot of success, and it just just didn't work out that way. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Now let's turn our attention to Big 12 expansion. Have not talked about that on this podcast, so couldn't think of a better guest to come on here and break it down. And I saw really three paths for Baylor. I saw a potential Pac-12 invite. I saw, you know, the Big 12 adding more teams like they have, or I saw moving to the AAC. That, those were the three main moves I saw for Baylor. Um, was this the best outcome for Baylor? So here's something I'll say, right? A lot of people were waiting for the Pac-12 invite to kind of feel safe, right? Because the Pac-12 has a lot of geographical tie, you know, so there's a lot of reasons why the league is going to stay together. But that said, there was a great game that happened this weekend. It was between Fresno State and UCLA, right? And it was one of the better games of the year. And I couldn't watch it because I don't have the Pac-12 network, mm. right? And that's something that's become a real trend, I think, with the Pac-12 is that yeah, they do make the money right now of a power five league, but there's a lot of disadvantages to being out there too. Another thing that I'll mention about that game, it was happening at like 11 PM, right? Yeah. Like yeah. this is just part of the deal of being in the PAC 12 is that you are working with some disadvantages relative to the West, the rest of the sport, just because of geography. And so I understand why people wanted the safe ground of the PAC 12. I just don't think that 
that's necessarily the better decision, right? I mean, I think that I'd point to West Virginia and the Big 12. You know, I mean, they've got more money, but I think that they probably missed the Big East a whole lot, even though it wasn't as much of a quote-unquote power conference, right? Just because of the geography, just because of travel, all that sort of stuff. Um, You know, so for me, right from the beginning, I felt like expanding the Big 12 was the better way forward. I don't know if whenever the contract comes uh, comes together, whether it's going to be a $40 million contract like it's been, there probably will be a notable hit. But I do feel like this is the path that lets these schools, and including Baylor, you know, who I'll speak about specifically, that lets Baylor continue to be the school that it's kind of been. Now, that's not a school that can probably win a national championship coming from this Big 12, right? I don't think that changed necessarily. I think there's still going to be a competitive team for the college football playoff, especially if we kind of see expansion. I think there's still going to be a team that has a chance to rank in the top 25. Mm -hmm. Uh, So from my perspective, I feel like expanding the Big 12 and having an opportunity to compete for this Big 12, even if it's not the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas in it, is still a really good situation for Baylor and really for everybody else in the conference as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, losing OU and UT, you know, obviously that's that's going to hurt and we're going to lose revenue. That's that's for sure. And when you look at these four teams that we've added, um, man, my mind just went blank. UCF, Cincinnati, um, BYU, BYU, and Houston. There we go. Thank you. Um, what do we get football wise by adding these guys? Yeah, I mean, these are four schools that have all been right there in the conversation for New Year's Six Bowls. They've been schools that have had chances to compete for the college football playoff, especially, you know, UCF, Cincinnati have both had undefeated seasons in the last couple of years. Houston had maybe as good of a chance as any group of five team to go to the college football playoff before they had an upset loss in 2015. So these are schools that have been competitive, that have been really good at football. And I I think that the other thing that you mentioned, too, is that they generally fit what the big 12 wants from its brand because BYU is, is the geographic real outlier. Mm-hmm. Well, this is still a school that, I mean, you, you, if you live in Texas, right, there's a lot of Mormons in Texas and that yeah. is really, it's, it's Notre Dame style of a lot of Mormon supports BYU right around the country. Um, I think that Cincinnati was a no brainer, just trying to build a bridge to West Virginia, who obviously has kind of gotten left out in the cold a little bit. Houston probably should have been a member of the Big 12 Conference a long time ago <laughs> after being a Southwest Conference member. And, and UCF is a little bit of a chance just because it's so removed from everybody else. But just you, you can't deny the success. It's also, I, I believe, either the biggest or the second biggest uh, school in America. Like yeah, It's a yeah. giant school. So yeah. a, a big alumni base, really up and coming. Um, we'll we'll kind of get to see whether they're able to leverage themselves into establishing themselves off the field as well in in addition to on the field as one of the top four Florida schools um, along with sort of the big three of Florida, Florida State and Miami. Uh, But it'll be interesting. I mean, I think it's a good investment to make. So I think those were the four right schools if you were going to invite somebody. yeah, I obviously as a Texan would have loved to see SMU. I, you know, I think that Memphis deserved a lot of consideration, but also there's some really good reasons not to invite those schools as well. Right. So if you're going to keep it at four, I, I think that that's probably the right four. Yeah. And, you know, they've said that they could add more teams. Who knows? Right. Um, so, you know, maybe Memphis and, and SMU will get their chance. Um, and now let's focus more on the current Big 12. Uh, we've been through three weeks here of games. Um, I haven't been super impressed with really any team in the big 12. I figured they'd all be better than what they are right now. Um, who is that team that can make a championship game run, not named Oklahoma and Iowa state? 
Well, I think right now, I would say it's still the favorite to me. I still think that they're probably the the surefire second best team in the league. But Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, I feel like I feel like basically anybody two through nine has a chance, right? I mean, I think that I I think that TCU coming into the year was my consensus number three team, and they've been okay. They've actually been a little shakier on the back end of the defense than I expected, but I still think that they're a a pretty good team. Kansas State, I think last week showed a whole lot in their game against Nevada, and they will get Skylar Thompson back at some point. Um, I do think that Baylor belongs in that conversation after what they've showed that we'll probably get to learn a little more this upcoming week. Uh, Yeah. You know, I, I think that Texas is still right there in the conversation. I think Texas Tech, and if they can only start their games in the second half, this looked really good. The first halves have been real shaky, but I think there's still a lot of upside there. So really, I mean, I think anybody could really turn it on in conference play. Even, even a team like West Virginia, who looked so bad, I think, in their opener against Maryland, turning it on against Virginia Tech, like there's a ceiling there that I think they didn't show early in the year. So Almost anything could happen, and, and I don't think anything would surprise me. I mean, I, I joke yeah. heading into the year, you write Oklahoma at the top of your ballot, and you write Kansas at the bottom, and you kind of just, you know, roll some dice and see what's going to happen in the yeah. middle. And, and it's exciting because I think it's going to be one of those years. Yes, that's that's what makes the Big 12 so fun and so exciting. And so I'm, I'm excited to see how it shakes out and see if maybe Baylor can make a little 2019 magic happen again. Um, and now I want to talk about Gary Bohannon. Um, is there something he's shown you through these three games that maybe you thought he didn't have? You know, the thing that I'll say most is that I love the way that the offensive staff has handled these three games uh, because I feel like, you know, I, I feel like through these three games, three, not very good opponents, the, the wins, whatever, that doesn't really right, matter. Right. But, but I think that what they've done is I think that they've made the game, and this sounds weird, but but stick with me. They've made the game hard for Gary Bohannon. I think they've made him make reads. I think they've made him make difficult throws. I think they've made him Mm. throw into traffic. They've made him, you know, make intermediate throws that he's going to have to make against better competition because – I mean, everybody remembers sort of the, the early to mid 2000, uh, 2010s Baylor when it was very like, all right, let's just throw some bombs and get out of here, right? Right, and, right, right. And they can do that, right? That's no problem. They can do that. But I think that they didn't do that on purpose. Now, they did a little bit more against Texas Southern because it was just Texas Southern, right? But, um, but I do think that they did a good job of making him make throws that he's going to have to make later in the year and getting some reps in underneath yeah. that. And he he was so much more comfortable making those throws than I expected. Right. I mean, I think that uh, whether it was off platform throws, whether it was different angles, I mean, I, there was one throw uh, that I was talking with Travis Road on Twitter about, right. And it was basically Bohannon steps back, kind of rolls to his left a little bit, turns back across his body, throws all the way to the right sideline. And like, people need to realize that's a 35 yard throw through the that's air. A tough for, throw. Like, for a 10-yard game, right? Like a 10-yard game. But the fact that you can make those throws with consistency completely changes the way that you can play offense. And, you know, not not to rag on, uh, you know, because because I'm a big Charlie Brewer fan, not, not, to, not to, you know, slight him at all, but that's something that hasn't existed for the last yeah. couple of years in this offense. Yeah. And I think that the level of effortlessness it's been, the level of ball placement that we're seeing already, the level of reads that we're seeing already. Um, and then frankly, I mean, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into it, the level of execution from the offensive line to this point, I, I just... I, I could not have expected it would look this good to this point. Again, it'll get tested against Iowa right. State, and we'll kind of get to figure out if it's real, but I don't think they could have showed much more. 
Yeah, and that offensive line group you mentioned, I mean, could you have more confidence going into Iowa State? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they've looked so good to this point. And, you know, I, I think that people sometimes get uh, caught up in the pro football focus grades, right? And, and they're measuring something very specific. And through three weeks, Baylor's been the best offensive line in the country by their metrics, right? They're measuring execution. They're measuring, here's your assignment. Did you fulfill your assignment? And okay. I, I think it was the the Texas Southern game where they, where they had the highest grade, like, in five years or something like that, right? Yeah, 99.9. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so... And so what that means is that every single time they were asked to do something, they did it, right? You get dinged for penalties, you get dinged for letting up sacks, you get dinged for letting up pressure, stuff like that, right? And every time they were asked to do something, they did it. And so what this tells me more than anything, right? Because I, I don't want to, I don't want that to be a damper. I, what it tells me is that this group is being coached at such a high level right now and knows what they're supposed to do. Because yeah. we, we all remember the 2020 line, but but even before that, I feel like offensive line has been an issue basically since the 2016 season, you know, for a lot of reasons. I mean, they were asked to do different things. Um, and, and one thing with my conversation with Dave Aranda over the summer when I was writing the Dave Campbell's preview for the magazine was that he talked a lot about how inside zone right now is so difficult to run because of the way the Big 12 plays defense. And so he felt like, and, and the, the rule system was a lot of inside zone. It was a lot of inside zone drop back passing. They kind of tried to stick with some of that stuff uh, with that first offense. And, and mm -hmm. what Aranda kind of told me is that, you know, because of the way that, uh, that defensive players are built in the big 12, they're very mobile. And so when you're running inside zone, they can crash the ball so easily. Whereas when you're going more horizontal and stretching the game out that way, it means that they have to make decisions and that slows them down. Mm. And, and so that was a big part of why mm. they decided to do this. And I mean, uh, you know, obviously they have a lot of the same personnel that they had in previous years. They did add some guys like Jacob Gall and Grant Miller, but a lot of this is just, Hey, we have one idea that we want you to do, and we want you to be awesome at it. And I think that it's worked in such a great way and no two plays look quite the same, but a lot of the execution of what they're asked to do is very similar. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's yeah. something that they talked about a lot. So I'm very impressed with what they've shown so far. And I'm very impressed with the coaching staff for creating something that's easy enough for these guys to pick up pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, we'll, we'll see against Iowa state, whether it's sustainable, but I I've been humongously impressed with the, with this group through three games. Yeah, for sure. I think, man, that, I, that's a, an interesting point that you made about stretching the defense horizontally. We used to do that through the air, right? Like right. get it out wide. Right. But now you're now we're stretching you horizontally with the run. That's right. that's exciting. That's exciting. Um, and speaking of the run, does Baylor have the best running back tandem in the Big Twelve? Do we? I'm gonna wait until it, it happens I, against Iowa State before I can feel too good about it. All right. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of Oklahoma's two running backs, Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's obviously Bijan and Brees are our top end guys who, you know, right. but, but they, they're really good. Right. I mean, they've showed again, a whole lot through these first two games. It was funny. I remember talking with some, some folks around Baylor uh, over the off season and they were like, okay, look, Abram Smith is moving back to running back. By the way, he's going to be the guy like you, you know, he's not just a body coming back. Like, I, I think that he could be that kind of player, right? And through these first couple of games, it showed it because, you know, talking to Grimes over the offseason, one thing that he said was, uh, you know, what do you need 
out of a running back in this system, what you need more than anything else is you need somebody who's fearless, somebody who can just see the hole and cut through it, um, even though you're going to get hit a lot and break some tackles, right? And so with both of these guys, have been just such good fits for the system with Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner. And so uh, I think that actually in a lot of ways, Abram has learned a lot from his experience as a linebacker. Yeah. Where, you know, you, you kind of just shove through, right? Like, that's what Grimes said, is that a lot of this is going to be arm tackles and running through them. And that's kind of what this has been for Abram Smith, right? And so, uh, you know, same deal. Like, I, I just feel like they've done such a good job of, of making these reads early, of getting horizontal, of knowing when to cut downfield. Um, again, I I want to wait until I see it against that real competition <laughs> fair, before, fair, I, before I crown them. But, I mean, they're, they've been playing very well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And let, let's switch to that defense now. Defense has definitely played well. They've played well for sure. Um, I just have a gut feeling that we could still just get to another level. There's another level that this defense could get to. What has to improve defensively for that to happen? We heard all offseason about Apu Ike, right? Uh, Ike. Like, we heard all offseason about how good he was going to be. I heard it from multiple people around the program. We heard it from Miranda. We heard it from everybody. And yep. through these first couple of games, he's kind of been invisible, right? And and I do think that part of it is that the rest of the defensive line also hasn't been difference makers to this point. And in Miranda defenses, you know, the defensive line isn't made to be the centerpiece of it. It's, you know, it's really the linebackers that are the big pieces and and obviously that star position that Jalen Petrie plays that they can kind of move around the field like a chess piece. But I, I do think that you need to win those one-on-ones, right? Like that's, that's the thing that's been disappointing to me is that you've seen Ika get into these one-on-one situations and not dominate them, which is something that we expected to see. Yeah. Now he hasn't really played since the 2019 season consistently. Right. So it's going to, I think it's going to take some time for him to get back to that point. I think we actually saw him play a lot in the spring game for that reason. Cause they were just like, get your snaps up, get your snaps up. Um, but, you know, I do think that we need to see more from him. I think that we need to see a little more from the pass rush. Um, I've, I've been pretty good with the, with the linebackers. I've been pretty good with the back end. I think that Jalen Petrie is still as good as we, we think that he is. Oh, I yeah. think Charles Bernard looks real good. Oh, yeah. And it's really that, that front group. I mean, there, there are players who have kind of come along the last couple of years. I think somebody needs to step up. And I assume it's going to be Ika, but we'll have to see. Yeah, I'm – yeah, I – I'm right there with you. Everyone was talking about Apu, Apu in the middle. He's going to be a force. Yeah. And I'm ho- he's got the tools to get to that point for sure. And I'm hoping it's what you're saying. He just needs a little bit, maybe more conditioning, just more reps and just more experience. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Iowa State to wrap up here. Um, first, what do you think they're going to do defensively to stop Baylor? Yeah, I think that, you know, Iowa State is a team that likes to line up with sort of three down linemen and, and really get after the quarterback with their base front, right? And so I think that one thing that Baylor's going to do really well in, in adjustment to that is that they're not going to let them kind of pin their ears back and get after the quarterback, right? Like, Will McDonald's going to have to stand back and wait and see where Gary Bohan is going, which mm-hmm. is a huge part of this system. Um I do think that they're probably going to try to come at Baylor with different angles because they do run sort of that three, three, five system. They use Mike Rose, their middle linebacker in a lot of different places, depending on what they want from their defense. So I think that they're going to have almost an Aranda style attacking you up the middle with Mike Rose, getting on the edge and kind of trying to contain. And, and that's going to be a big thing for them is I think just contain, right? I mean, that, that's a huge part of, of what's difficult about defending this wide zone system is just kind of keeping guys in front of you. Uh, and so the flip side of that is, again, I, I do think that 
Baylor can do some things to make Will McDonald a non-factor in this football game in terms of, again, if you really bootleg uh, Gary Bohannon a lot, if you really get him moving side to side a lot, I mean, Will McDonald wants to come straight at you. He wants to win a matchup and go. And, uh, and I think that for that reason, he can be kind of pushed off his block. Now, the, the thing that I'll say still is that I do think that they have the personnel. I think they have the bodies. I think they have the depth to be able to kind of mix things up in their fronts. I think that they'll probably come present a couple different fronts at Baylor as well. I think they'll really try to, uh, you know, get guys coming off the edge as well, just again, to contain, like I kind of mentioned. Um, but I mean, I think that Baylor matches up pretty well with what Iowa State wants to do. And in some ways, this system is built to attack what Iowa State wants to do as well. As far as the outcome of the game goes, what do you think Baylor's chances are there? I think that they have a real chance. I mean, I look back at that 2019 game, right? And it it was a game where Baylor went up uh, 20-0, I think, and then Iowa State storms back and Baylor picks that last second field goal and that really sets off that big season mm-hmm. for them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that I'm not going to compare it to an 11 win, you know, one of the great seasons in the history of Baylor football, because that's just not there. But I do think that there's some potential here for this to be a, a big game for Baylor in terms of establishing themselves, not just nationally, but also just to themselves. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't think they have to win the game necessarily to do that. Um, I think that just really competing, taking them down to the wire, knowing that they could have played better. I, I think that that's enough for, for this to really be kind of a big moment for them. But I do think that they they do have the talent. I mean, I don't think that there's any question that they have the talent to keep up with Iowa State. I think that they've executed at a level that should be able to keep up with Iowa State. And the big thing, too, um, and, you know, not to keep going back to my same conversation with Jeff Grimes <laughs> over the offseason, but it was a great conversation. Uh, you know, one of the things that he told me is that more games are lost than are won. And that's what, that's logical, right? Like, that makes sense. Um But one of the things that he said is that this system is very much made to try to avoid mistakes. That's why we keep it simple. That's why we don't do anything too crazy. And they they can attach things on top of this, right? Like, don't don't get it twisted. Like, they're not running the option out there just because they're running wide zone, right? Like, they can throw some deep shots. They can throw some posts. It doesn't matter. But I think that they're going to try and establish their really base game because Iowa State against Iowa proved that they are a team that will make mistakes, right? And and Brees Hall does not look 100% healthy right now, and so they've had to put a lot on Brock Purdy so far, and he's struggled, especially with Charlie Charlie Kolar uh, kind of struggling early in the year with injuries. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a lot about, about that, right? I think that Baylor's going to not pay, not play conservative per se, but I think that they're going to try to play mistake free. I think they're going to try to keep the game easy. Um, I think they're going to try to hold on to the ball in a lot of ways. And I think that that's going to, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of goes up against Iowa State defense, because this is an elite unit. This is an elite defensive coordinator in John Heacock. I mean, they're the ones who originated the 3-3-5 that Baylor took to a Big 12 title game back in 2019. Um, But, you know, I I think that that's how Baylor is going to try to attack. And I think that's their best chance of winning is just trying to put the game on their terms and wait for Iowa state to make a mistake. Now, right. Again, I, I would say it's really good. <laughs> they're really freaking good. Right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. And, uh, but, but like, I think that that's what they're going to try to do. And so I'm fascinated to see if they can keep up because if Baylor's offensive line can keep playing, not at this level, because this is an unsustainable level, but if they can keep playing at sort of a upset, if, they, if they're a top 30 offensive line unit in the country this year, Baylor's going to be a pretty dang good team. And if they're, a top 10 unit. I mean, it's, 
it's competing for the Big 12, right? So yeah. I'm excited to see what this unit is. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited to see the unit. I'm very excited to see the game this weekend. I think your point about Iowa State just wants to pin their ears back and get after that quarterback. And one thing Gary has really impressed me with is play action rollout, being accurate yeah. on on uh, on rolling out. And when we get that defense moving horizontally, like you mentioned, I think uh, – I think there could be some good things in store for the Baylor offense this weekend. And Shahan, you have now moved over to CBS Sports, right? Congrats on the new role. Thank you so much. You enjoying it so far? Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's it's definitely something to go from, obviously, covering a small sliver of, a, of one state to obviously not having to be yeah. responsible for everything. But I'll tell you what, I mean, this is, this is what I would have done anyway, right? I would have kept yeah. up with every team in the country. We've tried to watch every game. And so... It's been a lot of fun, and it's uh, it's definitely been something. It, it's still a little weird to get introduced as like Shahan J. Rogers CBS Sports, but yeah, you know, yeah. it's one of the cool things, right? That's yeah, it's got a nice ring to it. It does, it does. Yeah. And now you're also <laughs> doing a podcast, the College Football Playoff Show, right? That's correct. So I'm doing that with uh, with Advance Ohio. It's it's the company that owns the Cleveland Plain Dealer in a couple of different places. And so I'm doing that with Doug Maurice, who was actually the president of the Football Writers Association last year. And basically the premise of the show is that every single week we're, we're coming at you with playoff all year round. Okay. And so what that means is that we are going through and we're judging, hey, who deserves to be in the playoff discussion? And if you're in the discussion, we talk about you. And if you're not you're, we just you don't. don't even acknowledge. Yeah, you're not even acknowledged, right? And so um, it's about how the teams make cases to us. It's about, uh, you know, we'll go through and kind of rank teams based on like their quarterbacks or their head coaches or their pass catchers or whoever, right? And so the idea is really like for these teams that have a chance to play in the playoff every year, right? For look, It's a maximum of 12. That's the most that we're, we're uh, allowing ourselves to okay. have, right? Okay. And so we want you to really know these teams, right? Because so much of it is just, well, Bama's always good. Ohio State's always good, right? And so, like, you right. never really get into it. Right. So that's kind of what we try to do is, like, if you are one of those teams, like, we want you to actually know that team and not just be like, well, you know, Bama's a death machine. Well, you know, Ohio <laughs> right. State wins. Like, you know, we want you to kind of understand those teams. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at CFB Playoff Show and, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, we will make sure to do that. I've enjoyed it so far. And uh, keep up the good work. Um, Shayhan J. Raja, everyone. Thank you so much. All right, Iowa State, what are you going to present us on Saturday? Let's find out. Overall, last year they were 9-3, and 8-1 and one in conference. Lost their first game of the season to Louisiana, 31-14. They beat OU 37-30 in the Big 12 regular season, but then lost to OU in the Big 12 championship, 27-21. They did beat Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl, 34-17. So far this year, they are 2-1. and one. They have a win over Northern Iowa, 16-10. A loss to Iowa, number 5, 27-17. And then last week, they beat up on UNLV, winning 48-3. And they are returning 88% production. My goodness. 94% production returning on offense, 81% on defense. They are fourth in the nation in returning production. So a little bit weird to me that they are starting off the year so slow. 
But let's look at that offense. Third in scoring and total offense in the Big 12. 32.9 points per game, 436 yards per game last year. Third in rushing offense with 195 yards per game. Sixth in passing offense, 241 yards per game. 94%, 94% returning production on offense. Wow. So basically, I mean, they're returning every player on offense. Five of those returning players were first team all Big 12 performers. So let's start with that quarterback, Brock Purdy. We all know him. And we all either love him or hate him. First team, all Big 12 last year, a four-year starter. Completion percentage hasn't gotten any better since freshman year. 66% as a freshman, 65% as a sophomore, 66% as a junior. Last year, 19 TDs and nine interceptions. He has thrown, he has shown the propensity for throwing interceptions. Uh, So nine last year, and then the year before in 2019, he threw 27 touchdowns, but also had nine interceptions. Rushing, he will get out and hurt you with his legs. 87 attempts last year were his lowest number of attempts, but he rushed for more yards in his career with 382. So his yards per carry went up from 2.7 to 4.4. He had five rushing touchdowns and an above average playmaker. He can hurt you with his legs, but where he's going to hurt you the most is extending the play, rolling out, and then finding someone after the play has broken down with his arm. At running back, potentially the best running back in the Big 12, either Hall or B. John Robinson from Texas, but Brees Hall, number 28, Offensive Player of the Year in the Big 12 last year, a first-team All-Big 12 selection in 2020, also a preseason first-team selection for this year. He can do it all. I mean, 1,572 rushing yards on 279 attempts. That's a 5.6 yards per carry average over the entire year. That is excellent. He also had 180 yards receiving on 23 receptions, which isn't a ton of production in the air, but that doesn't mean he is not going to be a threat in the passing game. He averaged 7.8 yards per catch. So who else is behind Brees? Both backups are gone. They either graduated or entered the transfer portal. (laughs) There's that 6% of offense they lost. So it's either going to be Jirel Brock or Deion Silas. Jirel Brock was their highest rated recruit of the 2019 class at four stars, a 90 grade. He had only 13 carries last year and this year only has six. At receiver, only one wide receiver I want to point out here, Xavier Hutchinson, number eight. 6'3", 210. He's got great sides. He transferred in from Blinn College two years ago. So this is his second year with the Cyclones. He was first team all Big 12 performer and offensive newcomer of the year. Their leading receiver, 64 receptions, 771 yards, and four touchdowns. Again, is a preseason first team all Big 12 selection. They do have some other receivers returning in Tariq Milton and Sean Shaw. They combine for 36 catches on 314 yards and one touchdown. But where the receiving comes into play for the Iowa State Cyclones is that tight end position, and they have some very good ones. They are probably the best in the Big 12 at utilizing the tight end position. I'm hoping that we're going to be one of those teams very soon. But highlighting that tight end position, Charlie Kolar, probably the best tight end in the nation. First team All-Big 12 the last two years, and he's going to be first team again this year. Their second leading 
receiver, 44 receptions for 591 yards, led them in touchdown receptions with seven. We're also going to see Chase Allen, number 11, second team, all Big 12. So they've got two tight ends that have made the first and second team all Big 12. Allen had 19 catches, 236 yards, was fourth on the team in receiving. Also caught two touchdown passes. So three of Iowa State's top six receivers were tight ends. Tight ends, okay? And Kolar is at 6'6". Allen is 6'7". So they've got great, great red zone targets. And, you know, as soon as you commit to, to stopping Brees Hall, that's when the tight ends come open. They're both NFL prospects. Now, touching on that offensive line, best pass protection in the Big 12 last year. On 12 games, they only gave up 14 sacks. So basically only giving up one sack per game. That's excellent. They had the third best rushing yards per game in the Big 12 with 195 per game. They're returning five starters and experience. So it's going to be a deep group. Colin Newell at center was a first team all Big 12. He's preseason first team all Big 12. This year, Derek Schweiger was a guard, is second team all Big 12 last year. Trevor Downing, another guard, is preseason first team all Big 12. So they have an excellent, excellent offensive line group with Brees Hall, an excellent running back. And I already mentioned, but but offensive line is just a deep, deep group and probably the best in the league. Switching over to the defense, overall, their defense may have been better than their offense. Second in scoring defense only gave up 21.4 points per game. Second in total defense allowed only 340 yards per game. First in rushing defense only allowed 103 rushing yards per game. That is, that's, that's pretty insane to go a full Big 12 season and average just above giving up 103 rushing yards per game. Man, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. Sixth in passing defense, though, they allowed 237 yards per game. So there were yards to be had in the air against Iowa State last year. They were third in sacks, had 29 sacks on the year. That's a little over two per game. And I already mentioned 81% production return on defense. 12 of their top 15 tacklers, including that defensive player of the year in the Big 12, and three first-team all-Big 12 defensive players. And let's start with the defensive line up front. They lost a great defensive end in Jaquan Bailey, who gave them seven sacks last year, but they still have a very good defensive line. Highlighted by Will McDonald, number nine, defensive end, first-team all-Big 12, Preseason first team all Big 12. He led the team with 10 and a half sacks. That was second in the Big 12. 13 and a half tackles for loss was top 10 in the Big 12. One pass is defended, two forced fumbles. I mean, what hasn't this guy done? So we have got to find Will McDonald every single play. We might be doubling Will McDonald. So that, that may be something to look out for there if you're one that watches the offensive line versus the defensive line, which, which I am. They'll also have at nose tackle Uwazarike, number 58, 6'6, 320. Last year had three sacks, one pass defended. So they did lose Bailey there, who gave him some good production. But with McDonald, with Uwazarike, they should be just fine at the defensive line. And even today in Aranda's press conference, he talked about how good that defensive line is for Iowa State. So 
I like the confidence our offensive line has moving into this game, but they have their work cut out for them big time. I mean, big time. Linebackers is highlighted by Mike Rose, number 23, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He's first team preseason, all Big 12. This year, he's the outside linebacker. He's going to be on the short side of the field. 96 tackles led the team, one and a half sacks, two passes defended. He had five interceptions. So Rose, he can get it done in many different ways. He's great at pass rusher. He's also great in in pass defense. So Mike Rose, more than deserving of that defensive player of the year last year and someone to watch out for. And there's not much of a drop-off in these next two linebackers. Orion Vance, number 34, is the middle linebacker. Their third leading tackler last year had one sack, one pass defended. Jake Humble, number 30, excuse me, Jake Hummel, number 35, the weak side linebacker, second leading tackler with 77 tackles, three passes defended, one forced fumble, and the, all of them started last year. They were their top three tacklers, and they're returning all three. And they have some fantastic size at, at linebacker. Another thing Aranda mentioned in his press conference today on Monday was that Iowa State's linebackers on average are just much bigger than the rest of the Big 12. So Rose, 6'4", 250, jeez. Vance, 6'2", 255. And then Hummel, 6'1", 235. So, you know, if you thought our offensive line had their work cut out for them, with their defensive line, you know, you add in the linebackers and we got a tall task this weekend. Secondary, at defensive back, Ashimi Young, number one, he plays the star position. Is He's a lot like Jalen Petrie's position. Only a sophomore, all Big 12 defensive co-freshman of the year last year was the top five tackler, three passes defended, one interception, three forced fumble, He's a pretty talented player who's going to play all over the field. And they play with an extra defensive back in, um, in that Iowa State defense. So Ashim Young is going to be that extra defensive back. At cornerback, they're going to have some mixture of Anthony Johnson, Datron Young, Kyle Tavion, all returning. Johnson had five passes defended. Tavon had six passes defended. Young had two passes defended. So they're going to be cycling those guys at cornerback. At safety, though, Greg Eisworth, another big name for this Iowa State defense, number 12, two-time first-team All-Big 12 performer, a preseason first-team All-Big 12 selection, 47 tackles, four passes defended, one interception. And then Jaquan Amos, number six, transferred in from Villanova and had quite a good career at Villanova. 149 tackles, six tackles for loss eight interceptions, three forced fumbles, and four defensive touchdowns. Four. Okay, so this guy is a ball hawk, and as soon as he gets his hands on it, he's trying to take it to the house. A lot like everyone else's, obviously, but this guy, he's found a way to do it four times, which I think is pretty impressive. As a defender, 6'1", 200, and just adds that great playmaking ability to an already good secondary. And now the bare necessities. Bare necessities this week. We are starting out with limiting Brees Hall. 
He is their best offensive playmaker. He can do it as a rusher, as a receiver, as whatever, you name it. Success from Hall, it sets up the rest of their offense. If Brees starts to gash our defense for four to six to eight yards per carry, that's going to open up the rest of the offense for Kolar at tight end. We've got to create hesitation from Hall as a rusher, fly to the ball as soon as he touches it. Hall is going to get yards, but we can't let the explosive play happen. We've got to gang tackle. Number two, pressure Brock Purdy. Purdy has shown the propensity to throw interceptions throughout his career. He threw nine last year and nine the year before, three of those coming against us. Our pass rush has been lacking to start the year, and if we let Purdy sick back there, he can beat us with his arm. But more importantly is his playmaking ability. If he gets outside the tackles, he is one of the best creators from a broken down play. And as soon as that happens, he's going to be looking for his tied ends. If we can pressure him and make him uncomfortable, he is going to throw interceptions. I think we get at least one this weekend. Third, it's simple. Run the ball. We've shown we can run against bad teams, but now it's time to do it against one of the best defenses we will face all year. I expect to see Iowa State stack the box and try and take away the run. Force Bohannon to make those tight window throws and make GB beat them rather than our running backs. If we can show that we can still run the ball against a stacked box, I think an upset could be brewing in Waco this weekend. Game prediction. Yes, what is your game prediction? I will tell you right now. Okay. I had us losing this game to start the year, and I am really, really torn, especially the way that Iowa State has started this year. Defensively, we've shown that we can stop this offense. For the most part, we led at half last year. And had we been able to score touchdowns in the second half instead of field goals, maybe we win that game last year. But it did show me that our defense can play with this offense. I expect our defense to show up big with that home crowd behind them, force a turnover or two, and give us a chance to win the game. Offensively, I really don't know what we're going to get. Our offensive line has shown promise, but not against talent like this. Are we still going to be able to run the ball effectively? I'm not sure. I'm really not. What I am confident in, though, is Gary Bohannon. He showed me against Kansas. He can make the tight throws. He can be poised in the pocket. He can play with confidence. It could be a coming out party for GB against a top 15 opponent at McLean Stadium. And while I do feel better about where we are as a team than I did to start the year, I don't think that we're going to beat Iowa State this weekend, but I do think it is a very competitive game. I've got Iowa State winning 35-31. All right, we finally have some other Big 12 games to talk about, and I love going through here and making picks on Big 12 games. And when I do this, I go by the line. 
So, you know, pretty easy to decide that Baylor was going to beat Kansas last week. So I like to go by the spread and pick them from there. So what I'm what I'm looking at here is just the Big 12 games on ESPN's website. The odds are by Caesar Sportsbook. So here we go. And I'll start with our game. I know I gave a game, a real game prediction, but I'm going to choose this game on the line. Right now, Baylor is getting seven points. I'm taking Baylor with the points. I think we we win or are within seven points for sure. Another Big 12 game on the docket, Texas Tech visits Texas, and Texas is favored by eight points, and I'll take the Longhorns there. I don't think Tech is super good this year. Texas is playing at home, Big 12 opener. I think they win by more than eight. Kansas State at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is favored by six points. Oh my goodness. Wait, Oklahoma State is favored by six points? No. Kansas State should 100. I cannot believe that Oklahoma State is favored in this game. And by six points. My goodness. Yeah. Hammer. Hammer Kansas State plus six. That's ridiculous. Last Big 12 game here West Virginia visits number four Oklahoma. OU is getting. Excuse me. West Virginia is getting 16 and a half points. I'm going to take the Mountaineers. They have an excellent, excellent defense. They played amazing last week. Defensively, the offense is suspect, but look, Oklahoma's offense and defense has also been suspect. So, hey, give me West Virginia with the points. Man, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this game this weekend. Look, I know I came on here and said that Iowa State was going to beat us, but man, I really, really do feel good about our chances. I think it's going to be a heck of a competitive game. I think Baylor's going to come out and we're going to play well. Does that does that end up with a win? I don't know, but I do think that we're going to play well. I'm excited to see the crowd at McLean for a top 15 opponent, a 2:30 game. Hopefully they bring the right tents this week. But man, just can't can't express how excited I am for this weekend. Thanks again to Shahanjay Araja. That was great stuff. He dropped a ton of knowledge for us. He told us about all the things we wanted to hear and then all of the things we didn't know we wanted to hear. And that's all I got for you. I'm out. Sick and Bears. The Please Bear With Me podcast was created by Scotty Swingler, is hosted and produced by Travis Corley in affiliation with 247 Sports and Bears Illustrated.